One Hope Church. All right, good morning. Good to see each and every one of you uh, this morning here in the parking lot or online. Welcome, we're glad you're here. Um, and just like that, it was chilly on a Sunday morning in Athens. <laughs> we went from uh, many a, a hot Sunday to a normal Sunday to a chilly Sunday. Pretty happens pretty quick around here sometimes. Anyway, we are in Genesis chapter 5 um, this morning. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapters 5 and 6. And just really... Um, want to encourage us in the Lord this morning. It's been great to, to go through the first four chapters, even though there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, hope and wonder and greatness of God. And yet we also have, you know, failure, disobedience, sin, uh, pain as well. And so, you know, the, the first chapters of Genesis really lay the foundation for the rest of the scripture and inform us of, you know, where we come from, like how we got to where we are today. And so it's important, again, for us to have a, a firm understanding of the book of Genesis. We, you know, without a firm understanding of the book of Genesis, the rest of the scripture is um, difficult to make sense of how we got to where we are, you know, in the first place. So it's, it's important for us to understand it. And so... Uh, Moses writes these, you know, first five books. Um, he writes the Torah so that we would, um, you know, understand who God is and who humans are. Um, and he also wrote it for his people as well. And there are cautionary tales, you know, in the story um, as well for um, his people and lessons for them to learn so they would not repeat the same mistakes and the same sins of the past. And hopefully we can learn lessons today um, as the church. We can learn lessons from the book of Genesis and hopefully rightly apply them. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get right into it. So Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for a beautiful Sunday morning in Athens, Georgia, uh, where we can gather together and worship you. We pray that we would lift your name on high this morning, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Please be with us and help us, we pray. Um, Lord Jesus, give us understanding, we pray, and um, work in our minds and in our hearts, in our whole being. Help us to follow you fully. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in chapter... Five, it begins, this is the beginning of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat, begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Uh, so we'll stop there for a moment and just mention a few things. So again, Genesis 1 and 2, we had the creation of the universe, um, the creation of Adam and Eve. Chapter 3, we have the fall into sin. Chapter 4, 
Um, we have Cain and Abel. Where Cain murders his brother. Um, and then we have at the end of chapter 4, the birth of Seth. And we have here given two lines, the line of Seth and the line of Cain. Um, and that's going to be important moving forward. Um, but I do want to remind us, as Moses reminds us here in chapter 5 of the key elements of chapters 1 and 2, that God created human beings in His in God's image. And again, if there is, there, this doctrine is just central for our understanding of human beings as created in the image of God and therefore having a God-given value. Again, it's a value based on what God has done. It is not a utilitarian value. It is not a value based on what a human can accomplish or what a human knows, what a human can or cannot do. A human being is, has an intrinsic value because God has made that person in his image. And it doesn't matter how small or how big, how young or how old, from conception until natural death, that human being has been made in the image of God and therefore is intrinsically, has intrinsic value. And we all carry that same intrinsic value. And this should shape our ethics and our morality. You see, and this should shape when you see any other human being, you should never have in your mind or in your heart, I am more valuable than that one. You see, that is sin. It is sin to look at yourself as more valuable than another. It doesn't matter again the age. It doesn't matter again the ability. It does not matter again the ethnicity. It does not matter again the nation, the culture, or any of these things. There's an intrinsic value in each one. Now, there are many other things to, to say on that, and we're limited in time and scope of, of how far we can go. would love to sit down if you have any questions about that and have further conversation about what that means and the, the, impl- the implications of that. But everybody has that basic value as made in the image of God. Now, again, that... The, and the implications of that cannot be overstated. And I'm just going to contrast this for a moment here before we move forward. You know, Darwin versus Moses. Darwin versus Moses. And I just want to be really clear that if Moses is right, we have reasons for morality and ethics and how we treat one another. But if Darwin is right, let's, let's think about this for a minute. If Darwin is right and there is no God, then there is no objective right and wrong. If Darwin is right, who is to say that what one collection of atoms that we've just decided to call human does to another collection of atoms is right or wrong? If Darwin is right, there is no moral basis and no ethical basis to say that murder or rape or any of these other heinous things 
are, are wrong. There, is, there are no bounds, there are no grounds for which to, to, to look at anything and judge as right or wrong. And if Darwin was right about evolution, then his conclusion that there are superior races and inferior races is very difficult to argue with and to maintain any sort of reason. See, what they don't tell you tell a lot of times is Darwin was very clear about superior and inferior races. He believed that his, his people were the superior ones. He believed that you know, aboriginals in, in Australia, um, that Africans and others were inferior races. And it was, it's this evolutionary thought that is behind human attempts throughout history of eugenics. Forced ster- sterilization in this country was based on Darwin and eugenics. Hitler's you know, work was based on eugenics. You know, people are following that line and it has real life implications. You see, people tend to act out what they believe. And if they believe in evolution and they truly believe in a survival of the fittest, then it only makes logical sense to have policies that reinforce your strongest and who undermine your weakest. You see, if Darwin is right, then the entirety of Scripture is wrong, including the commands to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemies. None of that makes sense from a evolution, a biology, you know, evolutionary perspective. From an evolutionary perspective, none of the moral teachings of the scripture make any sense at all. Thankfully, we've been given here through, we believe through God, through Moses, teaching us that God created us, that human beings are made in God's image, and therefore, have intrinsic value. We also believe that you know good science will will agree more and more with what the scripture says, as we've talked about has been done with DNA testing and um, other things. We we believe there's more work to be done there, but that good science really along the scientific method of what is testable and provable um, will you know, more and more agree with scripture. And we've seen that in other fields as well. You know, people have said, well, we know such and such didn't happen, such and such didn't happen, such and such didn't happen. And then the archaeological discoveries, they go, oh, wait a second. Actually, that did happen. Oh, what the Bible said there was actually correct. Um, And we have to understand that many come with a bias of not wanting the scripture to be correct. Not wanting the scripture to be truthful. Why is that? 
why why do people not want there to be an almighty God who will hold people accountable? Well, I think I just answered the question. Because if there is an almighty God, then people are held accountable. Will be held accountable. Before God, based on God's standard and not their own standards. Many people don't want to be objective because objectivity might lead to the conclusion that there is a God that one is therefore accountable to. And if there is a God that one is accountable to, then one cannot just live life how one sees fit. There becomes a standard, and it's God's standard. Another thing we see in this passage, we already saw with Adam living 930 years, and he died. The promise that God gave in the day you eat of it, you will surely die, or dying you will die. That that process had started. Now we see people lived a lot longer prior to the flood. Now we could take note, after, even after sin had entered the world in Genesis 3, that the environment was still pretty pristine. There wouldn't be... You know, anything, you know, in terms of toxins, you know, what people ate would not hurt them, you know, in terms of, you know, eating things that causing damage um, to their cells. But ultimately, we see that it's God who appoints the length of time that humans will generally live. We'll see that again in chapter six. But let's move forward in verse six. It says, Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. And after he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Remember at the end of chapter 4, we saw that it was with Enosh that people started to call it upon the name of the Lord. Verses 9 through 20 give more genealogy. We don't have the time to read it this morning. You can read that on your own later today. In verse 21, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after we got Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Folks, that's an encouragement there. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And... I'm pretty sure there's some today who would say, Lord, if I could walk with you and you would take me, then we could be done with with all the wickedness around us. Well, we would take that. Um, You know, Enoch, we have Enoch, you have Elijah, you have a couple of characters in the scripture who did not die a normal, um, you know, death like most of us will die. I was going to say natural But folks, the words natural and death really don't go together. You see, God didn't create us for us to die. See, God created, you know, Adam and Eve and gave them everything they needed and they could have lived forever and ever apart from sin. Death enters in chapter 3 and it's a terrible thing. It's not natural. It's common. It's normal. But natural... Not so much. It wasn't the original design.
verse 21. Enoch, okay, verse 24, 25. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And he begot Lamech, after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And when you have the, you know, Bible questionnaires or, or things, you know, um, you know, facts from the Bible, uh, lesser known facts or whatever, this will often be a question. Who lived the longest and how did they live? Well, now you know. Methuselah, 969 years. And he died. That's a long time. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And after he begotten Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Chapter 6, read the first four verses. Now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. I want to stop there for a minute and talk about a couple things. Um, it's important, again, to remember context. Again, these chapter divisions that we have in our scripture did not exist originally. They were given to us as a way for us to be able to say to an audience, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. In the original, it would have just been, you know, find in the scroll where it says this. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's about 15% through the book of Genesis or whatever, you know, right? That's, that's kind of how you would have done that. Or, you know, if it's on numerous scrolls, then, okay, it's in this particular scroll that we're looking at. But there's a context that's really crucial to understand in this passage. And this context goes back to chapter 4 when we saw Cain killed Abel and then from Seth was born Enosh, and you have this line of Cain and the line of Seth. And that's important here. And so the um, the line of Cain um, is, you know, the, the line that is distant from God. And they are building and they are making and they are being successful in worldly terms. And then there is the line of Seth, and people in that line are calling upon the name of the Lord. But here, what happens is um, the, the people of, of Seth begin to marry the people of Cain. And they have offspring. And so again, remember Moses being the author here. He's reminding his audience, there's a, there's a cautionary wisdom that he's giving in here as well. And that is, do not seek to marry those who worship false gods because they're going to lead your heart astray. 
going to do that. He's giving the narrative. He's giving the historical record, but he's also making a point to his people. Hey, you know, this was a bad idea. This led to bad things. Don't do that. Be separate in terms of, you know, just marry those who, who worship God and God alone. Now, marriage customs have changed, but the lesson for us remains the same. Whether you're a man or a woman, if you fall for someone who does not follow Jesus, then your heart will likely be led astray. Many a person has brought trouble on themselves by not guarding their hearts and by giving their hearts to someone who does not love Jesus and is not committed, you know, is a, is a follower of Jesus and is committed to living under the authority of Jesus as king for all the rest of their days on this earth. You see, folks, I'm going to ask you all to ask a different question. You see, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, is, is that person a Christian? If they're a Christian, then I can date them. If they're a Christian, I can marry them. But their, their bar on that is so low. It, the bar on that is like, hey, does this person say that they're a Christian? Well, there's still a lot of folks who are going to say, well, I'm not this, that, or the other thing. The closest thing that I come to is Christian Christianity. And what they mean by that is like there's this basic moral decency that's expected of them in terms of how they treat other people. But they don't necessarily mean that they have put their faith in Jesus alone for their salvation and that they are determined to live under the authority of King Jesus until they die. So, folks, when you're looking for somebody... If you're single here in this message today and you're thinking about dating someone, the question in the bar is not do they give a mental assent to that there is a God or that Jesus is real or that Jesus died on the cross. No, have they truly repented of their sins, humbled themselves before God and said, Lord, I cannot save myself. I desperately need you to save me. If they do not have, if they cannot give compelling evidence that they have repented and surrendered their life to Jesus, stay away. And if asked the question, do you desire to live under the authority of King Jesus until you die? If that answer is not unequivocally yes, and you do not see that being lived out in their life where they are making sacrifices, where they are giving up things, that their flesh wants, but they know is contrary to the will of God. Stay away. Stay away. It was far better to be single than be united to someone who does not want to live a life of surrender to Jesus. Now that's the truth, whether you're one of my family members that's the truth whether you're a member of this church. That's the truth whether you're a complete stranger. Listen to this message today and you claim to follow Jesus. It's the same for you. Now, 
I'm going to make a note here. There's some who have wanted to interpret this passage between the sons of God and the daughters of man. That somehow, you know, angels or demonic beings or whatever, you know, angels or fallen angels, it's will be fallen angels, are having sex with human women and creating like this different line, you know, of like half human, half angelic sort of thing going on. Folks, I, I, that's not what's happening here. Okay, that's not what's happening. Again, there's the context that we talked about earlier. But also, just to be very clear, angels are not sexual. They do not have sexual parts. They cannot impregnate anyone. Jesus tells us this very clearly in Matthew 22, 29, and 30. Jesus answered them and said, you are mistaken, because there's this question about this woman, and she had been married to multiple men on the earth, and whose, you know, whose husband, um, you know, who's going to be her husband in, in heaven? And he says, you're mistaken. Not knowing the scripture nor the power of God, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. There's another note there as we go back in verse in verse 2 it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives to for themselves of all whom they chose so again this is like a long term family relationship so the evidence is really clear that that is not what is going on here this idea of mighty men or men of renown is not equivalent to good men. What it's equivalent to is powerful men. Okay? There's a difference between good and powerful. They're not, those are, are not equal. Let's just use a, a, you know, much more modern, still ancient for us, but a much more modern example of this. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great Received a phenomenal education in Greece. His father was assassinated and he took the throne when he was 20 years old. By the time he was 30, he had conquered huge portions of the earth. Got a lot of wind right now. But he had conquered huge portions of the earth. He had not lost a battle. He did not die in war. He did not die because his army was defeated. But he dies. Nonetheless, people called him great because he was such a great conqueror. But if you lived in one of the villages or one of the towns or one of the cities that got pillaged and all your family members are laying around dead... Would he have been great to you? Still might have acknowledged he was a great warrior, but not a great man. He was someone who did great evil. So we need to understand that because in verse 5, listen to this. It says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Think about that. So that's just, I mean, one right after the other where he says, you know, these were mighty men. And then the next line is, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And think about this, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So it was like a constant, how much more evil can we do? Just thinking about wickedness, just thinking about violence and seeking to commit it. And this grieved the Lord. I want to make a note here that, you know, the scripture is very clear that the Lord is, is omniscient. Meaning he knows everything. All right, nothing's hidden from him. And he knew what humans were going to do before he created. So it's not like God is caught by surprise, but he is still grieved. God is still grieved over their sin, over their wickedness, because what these humans have done at this point is they've fully given themselves over to it without restraint. And folks, sometimes in our world today, it does seem like people have less and less restraint about their sin. You know, what used to be done, you know, sin that was done in secret is now celebrated. Sin that was committed in shame, where people would be ashamed of their sin, they now flaunt. That's a change. That's a shift. That's dangerous. Because we live in a culture now that promotes sin and teaches people to sin. And I'm not saying that we're as bad as what it was before Noah. I don't know. You know, I would say we have more, you know, here. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was only Noah that God could find that was relatively righteous. Noah wasn't perfect, as we know, but he was relatively righteous compared to all the wickedness around him. Now, so we know that, hey, at least today, because of the gospel, because of Jesus, because there are true followers of Jesus around the world, that there are more righteous today than in the days of Noah. So we have that going for us. We have that going for us. But the wickedness in our world, the violence in our world, how people think of evil continually and film it and put it on the screen. And celebrate it. Should give us pause. Because here we know God is going to instruct Noah to make a vessel, to make an ark 
of salvation that will continue the human race and continue mammals and birds and everything else on this planet. But verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And Noah tells, God tells Noah, you know, to build this ark and how to make it. And you can read that um, in, in chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, 21. But when it concludes the morning with 22, so Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Noah was obedient to the commandment that was given. And that showed his heart. His obedience revealed his heart. Hey folks, for you and me today, our obedience reveals our heart. Don't, don't act like your heart reveals your heart. Because, you know, a lot of people will say, well, my heart is good. My heart reveals my heart. No, you see, your heart can deceive your heart into thinking that your heart is good. Obedience reveals your heart. You see, if you read the scripture and there are things that the scripture says are clearly wrong and you don't feel bad about it or you don't, I'm not even going to say that, you, you don't relent from it and agree with God and say, God, help me. Please change this. Then your heart is revealed. Noah's heart is revealed in his obedience to do all that God had commanded him, so he did. His heart is revealed in his obedience. Folks, for you and me today, your heart is revealed in obedience. That's how your heart is revealed. It's not how your heart feels about your heart. It's not how your heart thinks about your heart or how your mind thinks about your heart. It's about obedience to God. So Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And our prayer this morning is that God would help us to do all according to the God had commanded us and his commands are clear for us in the scripture. And there isn't ambiguity. It's clear for us. And so may God help us to be faithful and to obey. We also, as part of that obedience, Jesus told us to go into all the world and to make disciples of all the families of the earth. All the peoples. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all the things that he has commanded. And he's also promised in, in that that he would be with us in all of that. Okay, so that's 
one of the things God's very clear about, Jesus is very clear about for his followers, like this is what you are to do. This is also how we make the most difference in combating wickedness in our in our town, our city, in our nation, in our world. We combat wickedness through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ by helping to make disciples. That's our primary means, our primary method here and around the world. And folks, we should be encouraged because there are people all over this world, even today, coming to faith in Jesus. I got a message from a friend of mine who um, lives in a very difficult country, a very difficult place. And they had a man that they had, the Lord had orchestrated this amazing connection from another part of the world to this part of the world and this person's you know, family in this other part of the world to this very difficult place. And this man comes along and he stood up in their meeting and said, I believe in Jesus. Surrendered himself. Was baptized. <laughs> this folks, it's still happening all around the world today. It's still happening. There's still people that the Lord is is seeking in our city, in our community. And maybe you're the one who will speak up and share the love of Jesus with that person because it's not just over there where this happens. It's right here where this happens as well. So may, may the Lord help us to be faithful. But if you want to fight, if you want to fight back against the darkness in this world, we do so with the light of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We praise your holy and precious name. We thank you for your love and goodness to us. And we pray that you would help us, Lord. That you would help us to love you with our whole hearts and that that love would be displayed through obedience to your commands. Jesus, we thank you that you are a true and faithful king who was willing to you were willing to humble yourself and to die for us and so today we give you thanks that your blood was shed on that cross so that we could know you so that we could be forgiven so that we could be new creations in you help us to follow you with our whole hearts Jesus you said that if you love if we love you we will keep your commandments Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do just that. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. I have to say I'm very sorry this morning that it's my fault I left the communion at our house. We can store it here probably for future weeks. But um, I did that. So please, you know, take this time and contemplate um, what's, you know, the scripture and your heart before the Lord. Um, as we sing a couple more songs, and then as you go home today, um, please, you know, I encourage you to follow through and take some time in prayer and, and to take the bread and take the cup 
in your house today. Thank you so much.